Good morning, good morning. Welcome to what we are now affectionately calling Virch Church. Welcome to Redeemer's online worship experience. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Matt Howell. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you for choosing to hang out with us this morning. If you are joining us from a place of joy or a place of sorrow, from a place of belief or a place of unbelief or somewhere in between, or you don't really know where you are this morning, thank you for hanging out with us. Welcome to Redeemer. Well, what is Redeemer? Redeemer is a church. We're still a church, even though we're a virtual church these days, but we're still a church. And what that means is we are a community of people and we're trying to learn how to love God and love our neighbor. And the way that we do that is we get together every week and we worship God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so that we might rest in his love for us. Then we get together throughout the week and we remind one another of his great love for us. And then we delight to spread throughout Midtown in service so that we might reflect his great love for us because we dream of seeing our city flourishing anew through the redemptive love of Jesus. So that's kind of who we are. We're a community of people. We're trying to learn how to love God and love our neighbor as we rest and as we remind and as we reflect. And in order to help us do that during Epiphany, the season of Epiphany, what we've been doing starting last week is we're looking at this letter in the New Testament called First Peter, and we're trying to answer this question, what does it look like to be the church in a post-Christian culture? And the running metaphor through the letter of First Peter is that the church is a group of exiles. We are um, we're sojourners. This is not our true home. We don't fit in here. We 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 are uh, strange and different as the church. Not in the sense that we form our own little uh, you know, Christian subculture with our own weird music and our own weird insider language. We're strange and different, not in that sense, but in the sense that we have different values, in the sense that our response to injustice and outrage is different. Our political engagement is different. Our presence online is different. Our posture, our conduct, our behavior is different. And today, what I want you to see from this passage that Kate Vargo just read for us, is that our hope is different. Now, I heard Tim Keller use this example, which I think is helpful here. You might have heard the name Viktor Frankl, Viktor Frankl, however you uh, correctly pronounce his last name. He was a Jewish psychotherapist who was put in the concentration camps of World War II, and he lived through it to talk about it. And as a social scientist, he was really fascinated by why people had different experiences to the suffering that they were going through. And, and so he, he really tried to figure out why are there uh, different responses to this uh, horrific treatment that everyone's experiencing. And he said there were basically four different groups, four different responses to the suffering. The first group, people's response uh, was that they just became brutal, even people that were nice, kind, friends of his that he knew before they entered into the camps together, the, the, the atrocities and the hardships of the, and the horrors of the camp just made them hardened and brutal, and they were willing to kind of step over each other to survive. The second response to the suffering uh, was that a lot of people simply just gave up. They just lost hope, and they, they shriveled up. Even optimistic people, they would just lay in bed unresponsive. The third response, third group of people, a lot of people thought, well, if I just survive this, if I get through this, then I can make it back to the life that I had before. I can go back to my, my previous job. I can come into my old home, my old family, my position in society. That was their hope and that things would go back to normal. 
And when uh, uh, many of these people were liberated and they went back to normal life, many slipped into depression and ended up committing suicide. And they discovered that no amount of earthly happiness could compensate for the amount of atrocities that they had suffered. And then there was this fourth group, this fourth response from people, people that were somehow in the midst of that horror, they were able to maintain their inner liberty. They were uh, able to stay kind. And uh, Frankel wanted to figure out why. And so why, why were these people different? And he figured it out. He says for these people it was hope. They had a hope in something eternal. They had some infinitely spiritual reference point that transcended their current circumstances. And so here's what he writes in his book. He writes, life only has meaning if we have a hope that not even suffering and death can destroy. And I think that quote and I think the story is particularly relevant for our particular moment because um, as we got near the end of 2020... I think we all had this implicit hope in all of us, didn't we? As we kind of finished up 2020, we all just sort of implicitly hoped 2021 is going to be better. I mean, anything can be better than 2020. And so we were just hoping as soon as that calendar turns, things are going to be great. And it didn't take that long for us to realize how naive that hope was. I mean, we're not even to the end of January yet, and we realized, okay, 2021 is not that much better. Um, in fact, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a million amazing memes going around right now. There's one meme that I thought was particularly funny. It's a picture of the Joker with one of his kind of clown henchmen, and the Joker is kind of holding out his hands, and it says, here's what it says, 2020 showing 2021 around the workplace. Well, here's the question that I want you to consider this morning. What is your hope? Do you have a hope that can transcend death and suffering and the circumstances of 2020 and 2021 and everything else? What I want to do this morning is I want to show you uh, just two things. I want to show you what is the Christian hope and why does that matter? What is the, the hope of the Christian and who cares? So those are the two things I want to explore. Number one, what is the Christian hope? Um, from this passage, the best way that I, I tried to figure out how to capture what the Christian hope is from this passage is simply this. It is life with God. That's what the Christian hope is. And so I, I kind of want to break that down one word at a time. Life with God. First, life. Look at verse 3. It says this. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. L look at all of that life language stuffed into that little verse. He says, born again, which is this experience of, of coming into life. He talks about living hope. Then he says, uh, through the resurrection, which is, you know, life from death. Anytime the Bible talks about um, communion with God, one of, one of the most dominant themes and ideas is, is, this, is the language of life, of, of wholeness, of fullness, of goodness. And notice it says we are born to a living hope through the resurrection, meaning Jesus was dead and he was rotting in the grave, and yet God by his mercy caused him to be raised from death to life. And because Jesus is alive, we have a hope that is alive. Our hope is alive because Jesus is alive. This is why um, Peter says um, we essentially, we have a hope that death can't even take away from us. We have an inheritance that is, is almost invincible. In fact, that's the, kind of the language that he uses in verse 4. He says we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfa 
unfading, kept in heaven for you, meaning it is guaranteed, it's rock solid, death can't touch it. Our hope is alive because Jesus is alive. Life. Okay, life with. What about with? Look towards the end of verse 7. It says, uh, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Peter's talking about the language of the revelation of Jesus Christ, he's talk- he, he just simply means the return of Jesus Christ. The hope of the Christian is not that Jesus just came at Christmas, but that Jesus is going to come again. He has not abandoned us. He has not left us. He is coming for us to be with us. That is our hope, communion with God who is coming for us. Life with God. God is the central subject of this whole passage. In fact, you can't really see this in our English translation, but verses 3 through 9 in the original Greek is all one long run-on sentence with no periods. In our English translation, we put periods in there to break it up, but in Greek, this was just one long, non-stop, no stopping for breath, explosion of words. Um, you know like when a, when a little kid gets excited to tell you something and they just turn into a motor mouth and they're like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and they never stop to catch their breath? That's what Peter is doing here. He starts off and he says in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he just kicks off this excited, never-ending, run-on sentence, this explosion of praise. He's just um, joyfully thrilled with the reality of who God is and what God has done and therefore what God is going to do in the future. He is going to come back and he will return to us. He will dry our tears. He will heal what is broken in me and what is broken in the rest of the world. Life with God. It's him. That's our hope. Our hope is him. Everything in this world could be fixed. And yet if he's not in it, that's called hell. He is our hope. Our hope is him. It's in him himself. Uh, I'm sure you've seen these videos online. They've been, you know, passed around for years now when, like, a father from the military will come back home and surprise a a family member. He's gone away, and uh, he he comes back after being away for a long time. And I I feel like there's there's one video, you know, imagine this, you know, kid opening a Christmas present. It's Christmas morning, and you kind of see the father kind of stepping into the frame in the background. He's wearing his, you know, camouflage kind of... Uh, gear, and the kid opens this present, and, you know, they they open it up, and it's this, you know, uh, note that says, turn around, and then they turn around, and they see their dad, and they scream, and they run into his arms, and they grab him, and and then you, of course, like, need to find the Kleenex as soon as possible, but that's the picture. The picture is that he's the gift. The father is the gift, That's what Peter is saying, is that the gift is him. It is life with him. It is not in God giving us a good life. That is a massive distinction that you have to make. Our hope is not that God will answer all of our prayers and make our life comfortable. Our hope is him. If it's not him, then what we're doing is we're just using him to give us the thing that is our hope. He's just the means to the end. This is kind of like relating to God the way that you would relate a a lottery ticket. A winning lottery ticket, the actual ticket actually is worthless. It's just a piece of paper with some numbers on it. 
but you hang on to it and you protect it because that is your means to the end of getting you the big bucks. There's a lot of people that relate to God and they draw close to him, they pray to him, they say, sure, okay, I'll go to church, I'll kind of keep him close, not because I love him, but because if I get him, then I guess I get a better shot at him giving me what I really want, which is maybe a good marriage or a good career or money or success or whatever it is that you want. But for the Christian, this is why our hope is strange, because our hope is him. Our hope is not that things will go back to normal. Our hope is not in a vaccine, although that's awesome. We're excited about it. Uh, Our hope is not in a president. Our hope is not in 2021 or 2022 or any other year. Our hope is him, life with God. That's the Christian hope. So, secondly, okay, who cares? Why does that matter? Well, uh, there's a lot that I could say here, but I want to just draw your attention to two ways that this practically matters, two ways. The Christian hope, number one, it frees you to rejoice, frees you to rejoice. Look at verse six. Peter says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter is saying that hope in God gives you a joy that is disconnected from your circumstances. In fact, what were the circumstances of Peter's original audience uh, that he's writing this letter to. Uh, He says they've been grieved by various trials. Now, in in, in this era, when Peter wrote this letter, uh, Christians were rounded up like cattle. Uh, They were covered in tar. They were hoisted up on poles, and they were lit on fire while they were still alive to be the lighting for the emperor's outdoor garden parties. Uh, Christians were... were, um, uh, captured, they were thrown into the you know, gladiator ring and the arena to be uh, mauled by lions as a form of entertainment. This is what Christians were experiencing in the first century. This is very different from just Christians being called out on social media. This is Christians being executed and, and tortured publicly. And Peter says that the Christian hope gives you a joy that is able to transcend horrific circumstances that you can rejoice even as you grieve. Look at verse 8, 8 and 9. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing language. Inexpressible, glorious joy now. That's what our hope gives us. Now, Peter is not some naive, optimistic, religious, pie-in-the-sky guy where he just thinks everything's awesome. He's talking a lot in this letter about suffering, as we're going to see. And yet, he's, he's in touch with something that not many people are in touch with, that as you are going through horrific suffering, you are able to experience inexpressible joy. On February 23rd, in the year 155, 155 AD, which is about 90 years after Peter wrote this letter, uh, the Roman government arrested this chief Christian leader who was a bishop. His name was Polycarp, and he was 86 years old. We have detailed records of his story. 
and they tried to persuade him to deny Jesus. They were like, renounce Jesus or else we're going to kill you. And here's what he said. Polycarp's response was, quote, for 80 and six years have I been his servant and he has done me no wrong. So how can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And they're gonna, they, they go on to nail, uh, they say they're going to nail you, to, we're going to nail you to a post and we're going to burn you alive. And he said, you don't have to nail me. I'm, 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 I will willingly stand here of my own volition. And as they lit him on fire while he was alive, here's what he was recorded to have been praying with his final breaths. Quote, I bless thee that thou hast granted me this day and hour that I may share among the number of the martyrs in the cup of thy Christ for the resurrection to everlasting life, both of soul and body and the immortality of the Holy Spirit. Even as he is dying, he is thinking about his hope, resurrection, life to come, everlasting life with God. He had a living hope that gave him inv invincible joy, remarkable courage in a horrific moment of his life. If death no longer gets the last word, then you have a joy that no person or no circumstance can take from you. Do you have a hope like that? Do you have a hope that allows you to rejoice even as you grieve? If you don't, if your hope is only in the things of this world, you will always be a slave to this world. I need things to go back to normal. I need my boss's approval. I need my children to be perfect. I need money to live the right kind of life. I need sex in order to be fulfilled. I need beauty in order to be noticed. I need the right president in office in order to make me feel safe. You will always be a slave to your circumstances. And so you will rejoice when things are going your way and you will grieve when things are not. But you will never be able to rejoice as you grieve. The Christian hope gives you a unique ability to do both, to suffer, to grieve, and to rejoice. Because you have a hope, as Viktor Frankl says, that not even suffering and death can destroy. That's the first implication. The Christian hope frees you to rejoice. Here's number two, finally. The Christian hope frees you to love. Frees you to rejoice and it frees you to love. Look at verse seven. He says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is comparing suffering through gold going into a furnace. He says, um, you know, you, you take some gold, you put it in a furnace, crank up the heat to a thousand whatever degrees, and the intensity of the heat burns away the, the, the dross, the impurities, and so the gold comes out actually purer, brighter, shinier. And he's saying that's kind of what God does with our faith. Uh, he, he is saying if your hope is in God and you are experiencing something where it feels like your faith is getting incinerated, it's getting burned, it actually has the potential to come out the other side looking brighter, more beautiful, stronger. Let, let me give you an example of how. In 1665, I'm doing a lot of historical references today. In 1665, there was this terrible plague that hit London, similar to the yellow fever outbreak in Memphis in the 1800s, similar to the pandemic we're experiencing today. There's just this big plague that started wiping out tons of the city. Now, the context is three years before that, 1662, there was this big historical moment called the Great Ejection, 
where that year, over 2,000 gospel preaching ministers were, were basically run out of the city. Government came in, you know, they you know, kicked him out. That was three years before this. 1665, the plague hits. And what do all those Christians, what do those gospel-believing people do? They go back into the city to care for the sick, to tend to the dying, to risk their very lives, to care for a city that ran them out. Now, why would they do that? Why would they take such giant risks? Because they had a hope that freed them to love. They were willing to say, okay, I can lose everything in this life. Because if I do, I, I don't lose really anything in this life. The Christian hope, life with God, propelled them to take such risks out of love for their neighbor that they were willing to sacrifice really everything. That's faith. That is beautiful, glorious, shiny, strong faith. That's what it that's, looks like Jesus. Do you have a hope like this? Do you have a hope that compels you to take risks out of love? for your neighbors. If you don't, if your hope is merely in the things of this world, you will always be a slave to convenience. You will always be a slave to comfort. You will never risk, you will never risk like that if you are looking to this life and this country and the stuff around you to give you what you think you need, security, money, or meaning, comfort, whatever. You'll never be able to risk or to give it away. But if your hopes and dreams are anchored in God himself, you're free to give it all away because you know you'll get it back only tenfold. Don't you see, this is what makes us strange. This is the hope that makes us strange. We, we are freed to love our neighbors in Midtown rather than to avoid them. We are freed to give away our power and our privilege rather than to exploit others. We are freed to give rather than to take. We, we are freed to fail because Christ succeeded. We're freed to suffer because Jesus will dry our tears. We are freed to die because we know we will live. Now, here's the final question. How can you trust him? How can you trust him when you can't even see him, as verse 8 puts it? Why put your hope in God instead of power or instead of a 401k or instead of a president, or a vaccine, or yourself. Here's why. Here's how you can trust God, because Jesus was the only one that was willing to go into the furnace for you. Jesus on the cross lost his inheritance, and he became perishable and defiled and was fading into death for you. He was willing to be incinerated on the cross as your substitute. Why would he do it? Verse 3, according to his great mercy. Why would God extend great mercy towards his very enemies? You know why? Because he loves you. If you can look back at the crucified and risen Christ, you will know that you are loved. And if you can, if you can, if you can see Jesus crucified for you, now you can say, okay, if he was willing to go through hell for me, then I can trust him. I can believe that he is committed to my good. I can trust that he is better than any hope that this world has to offer. If I can see him rising for me by faith, then I can say now, okay, I can trust every word that he said. I can believe, I can give all of my allegiance to him because he has proven his sovereign power to me. So no, um, we do not see him, 
but we love him. And we fix our eyes of faith on a crucified and risen king because he is our hope and he is the hope of the world. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would give us hope. So many of us are overwhelmed and anxious, scared, exhausted. These are hard times. I pray that you would give us eyes to see Jesus. Give us eyes to see you and hold out this hope for us that you have promised us life with you eternally. And I pray that that would free us to be the kind of people that rejoice when there's not much reason to rejoice. And I pray that you would free us to be the kind of people that love when there's so much more reason to not love. Transform us into strange, different people because of this strange, different hope we have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.